Caregiving is one of the hardest and most humbling experiences for a spouse or a child. It's an experience full of emotionally draining challenges. Join me, Wanda Brady Purcell, on the Accidental Care Partners podcast as I bring you information and practical tips for caregiving that have been gleaned from more than 20 years working with family care partners and helping professionals. Please join me for the next few minutes. You'll be glad you did. Hey there, welcome to episode 12 of the Accidental Care Partners podcast. I'm your host, Wanda Brady Purcell. And as I promised last week, today's show is part two of a two-part series addressing the common issues you face each day as a caregiver. Last week in episode 11, we discussed waking, bathing, dressing, and mealtimes. Today, we're going to complete our virtual tour of a day in the life of a caregiver and we'll discuss many forms of restlessness, and then we'll look at ways for you, the caregiver, to find rest in the middle of a busy day. And then we'll talk about inappropriate sexual behaviors, repetitious behaviors, forgetfulness, undressing behaviors, and then we will close out the show by talking about your behaviors as caregivers. I'm talking specifically today about hard-to-handle issues and behaviors you confront on a regular basis as you provide care for your loved one. Let's get started. After meals, you may find that your loved one is tired and wants to take a nap. So, adjust the lights and sounds and make a calm environment for sleeping. This provides an excellent opportunity for the caregiver, you, to engage in some soothing stress relief. According to the verywellmind.com website, The tip here is for you, the caregiver, to engage at least one of your five senses. They offer these suggestions. For touch, you can sit in the sun. You can take a tub bath. You can feel the water on your body. Or you can do stretching exercises. If you want to engage your sense of taste, go for a healthy snack. Maybe um, suck on some hard candy or drink a cup of soothing herbal tea. For the sense of smell, you can use lavender, vanilla, bergamot candles, or essential oil diffusers. For sight, you can look at something interesting. Maybe clouds passing by, or maybe your trees or flowers in bloom. Or you can read a book or watch a movie, or you can look at photographs that bring you joy. If you're going for the sense of sound, then you want to listen to relaxing music, You can sing, you can hum, or you can actually just state positive things to yourself for verbal affirmation. Choose the sense that you want to engage and then pick your activity based on that. But taking time for yourself, just truly a time out, will prepare you for the next grueling second shift of your day. Because sometimes after lunch, heading into the late afternoon and early evening hours, care receivers who are struggling with dementia may go into what is known as the sundowning period. This is a very intense time of day, and it can be mind-boggling to those who've never witnessed such a thing. If your loved one does not experience this, be thankful. This is the time of severe restlessness for the care receiver and often for the caregiver because they are challenged with finding ways to calm the situation. 
And depending on the reason for the sundowning or the severity of the dementia, the restlessness can take on different flavors. I've included several fidget musters earlier in episode four, but I'll mention those and a few more here as well. The internal restless feeling of the care receiver may show itself through any one or a combination of fidgeting, picking, wandering, rummaging, or pill rolling. Fidgeting is a kind of squirming behavior that reveals the internal restlessness. Fidgeting reminds me of a five-year-old boy on a church pew after 55 minutes of being in one place parked between two adults. He can't wait to be set free from the confines of his prison. I think this is how someone with dementia is feeling, but is simply unable to express it with words. Picking is another expression of the restlessness. This is often a picking action directed toward picking at their clothing, picking or scratching the skin, pulling the hair or eyebrows or eyelashes out, or simply plucking on their bed covers. The next kind of restlessness is wandering. And, you know, that's pretty self-explanatory. The care receiver moves aimlessly, but in constant motion. Not sure where he wants to go, but quite intent on getting there. This is when having additional locks on doors can prevent your care receiver from slipping out of the house. And remember to select locks that can be installed at the top of the door out of the line of sight of your care receiver, but of such a type that will still allow you to escape easily in the event of fire or other emergency. Do not make it a key lock. Make it something that is easy for you to manipulate in case you must get everyone out. And then there's rummaging. And this always reminds me of the old rummage sale, which may be why the older generation is prone to this type of restless behavior. If you have a loved one that has a propensity to rummage around, try to identify the main area of his activity. Then consider making that area a safe zone. Take out anything of value or clothes that you would want him to actually wear. Um, for instance, if he rummages in his closet, put things in there that don't matter if he takes them off the hanger and leaves them on the floor. You know, take out his good suit that you think he might wear at some future time. Take out his good shoes because once he starts rummaging, whatever's in there may end up somewhere else. And if you're looking for his shoes and one is missing, then you're going to be frustrated with them. So take the good stuff out and put it in a place where you know where it is and you can get to it. And you may have to put it under some sort of lock to keep him out of a different closet, but give him a place that he can go and freely move things. If he rummages in your dressers or his dresser, then just make sure to take out any sharp instruments, scissors, tweezers, safety pins, anything that can harm him while he is actually rummaging around. If your loved one lives in an assisted living or a skilled nursing facility, you may find that her neighbors like to rummage through her space. So get creative and finding ways to keep your loved one's things safe. Like childproof locks on drawers or closets will keep other residents out. But just make sure the care staff knows what you're doing and how it's um, how it works. And if there's a key, where the key will be stored. And make sure it's stored in a safe place because those coming in 
to look for interesting things might take a hankering for the key and then you're out of luck again. We experienced this with my dad's assisted living neighbors. Several of the little old ladies loved his combs. So we had to repeatedly purchase combs for him. Eventually, we learned to store these in the trunk that was at the end of his bed. It was very heavy. And the elderly folks could not lift the lid. They never thought to look in the trunk. So the combs were safe. But we um, put a note on his wall calendar so that the care staff would know where to find his combs. His closet was actually never bothered, but his chest of drawers was a constant mess. And interestingly enough, my dad was not a rummager. It was his neighbors that did that. Now, another behavior that I associate with rummaging is the ever-present pocketbook, purse, or wallet. You may have noticed, as we did, that carrying a wallet or purse is linked to our loved one's identity. My dad had been self-employed and he needed to make change with his customers. So carrying a wallet was very important to him. Eventually, we did have to switch out his good wallet and replace it with a dummy. He loved to pull it out and make change or pretend he was making change. So we had to take the real money out and his driver's license identification out. But here are some ideas for you to consider that can work for both men and women. You can make a copy of their driver's license and laminate it, but block the number out, black it out, and then they can put that in their wallet. Or you can put Monopoly money in the wallet. We get tons of fake promotional credit cards in the mail all the time. Put these to good use. The idea is to make the wallet or the purse feel as normal as possible without compromising your loved one's security if someone else comes into its possession. I had several female patients in an assisted living facility who carried their purses everywhere. And I mean everywhere. And there were multiple times when another patient would actually take a liking to a specific purse, whether it belonged to her or not. So put familiar items in there, but nothing of significant value because you never know where it may end up. And the last expression of restlessness that I'll discuss today is known as pill rolling. And it is the repetitive motion of rubbing the thumb against the forefinger. You know, sort of like you're rolling a knotted string or even just a pill like a medication. And this is probably the least agitating action because if this is the lone activity, it is still and quiet. Now here are a few things for you to consider. Fidget quilts or blankets or wristbands can be a good passive diversion for those who are fidgety or pickers, or maybe even those who engage in pill rolling. These are tactile works of art, and many care receivers are soothed by running their hands or fingers over the vast assortment of colors and textures. There are many ideas on Pinterest for these items, but I do want to provide a word or two of caution. My dad had a fidget quilt that was made by one of the volunteers at the hospice where I work, and it was lap size and had many pockets with buttons and zippers and a mesh overlay and small stuffed animals hidden in the pockets. 
There were many textures on the quilt, and he loved to run his fingers over the seams and the fabric. And you can imagine my surprise when I discovered that my dad still had quite a bit of strength in his fingers and hands. He single-handedly pulled buttons and bells off. He occasionally tried to eat the stuffed animals. So if you use a fidget quilt or a wristband, provide supervision to ensure no loose items come off or become choking hazards. We just want your loved one to be safe. And if you have small children around, then I'll give you that same caution to make sure that you keep an eye on them. But every time I pulled the fidget quilt out for my dad, it was as if he was seeing it for the very first time. So there were many hours of pleasure received from this one item. And it did serve to prevent him from picking at his scalp and arms, which were covered in skin cancers. Now, I talked about the wristband, and I want to tell you a little bit about that. We came into possession of a wrist sock made by a friend of my son. I had never seen this kind of fidget buster, but it is similar to the fidget quilt in concept. The sock was very soft, like the kind of socks that have lotion in them to soften the feet overnight. The creator of this sock had cut the foot out of the sock and hemmed the raw edge so that the shank, or the part that would have covered the calf, was left. Then she tightly sewed a colorful array of buttons, shaped like stars or flowers or blocks. Um, I'll put a picture up at the, in the show notes so you can see what these look like. But she included an old car key and a couple of trick rings and a Christmas-themed button. Really, if you are creative, you can make a particular wristband for every season, and your care receiver will never get tired of them. There'll always be something new and colorful and themed to the season in which they're living that could really be quite meaningful to them. But as with the fidget quilt, supervision will be needed to guard against choking hazards if your care receiver is strong enough to pull an item off. Fortunately, my dad was not able to pull anything off of his wristband, and it fit perfectly on his forearm where he was prone to pick at his skin. So this was a great addition to the Fidget Buster Toolbox. And as I talked in Episode 4F about Fidget Busters, I also like the Melissa and Doug brand of toys. Um, I found them to be some really great ready-made fidget busters. Um, one I like in particular is called the Latch Board. That's L-A-T-C-H. And if that's pretty self-explanatory. But there are other children's toys that can be used for diversion too, such as spinning toys that talk or make sounds. Just be aware of any parts of it that could be choking risk. And be forewarned that if your care receiver likes a particular toy, you may hear it all the time. So be selective. Dr. Galloway suggested some active forms of diversion for busy behaviors. She recommends folding towels because they're easier to fold than actual clothing. Other options include setting the table with placemats and plastic cutlery, or even your real forks and spoons if you're getting ready for mealtime. But you can also use your cutlery to sort. They can sort according to size or according to purpose. And if you bought um, plastic ware that's in different colors, then they could sort those based on color too. And the same thing, I wouldn't use knives. 
just as a safety precaution, but you can sort towels by color or by size. If you had hand towels, washcloths, and bath towels, then you can have them you know, sort them and fold according to size. Just depends on the cognitive ability and to keep them engaged. But another thing she suggested was letting them sort Tupperware or to match the Tupperware bowl with the lids. And these are things that are busy work, you might say, but it keeps their their minds engaged and it gives you the opportunity to have a conversation while their hands are busy. So you want to provide the opportunity for the caregiver to actively engage in meaningful conversation about the activity itself. So for instance, the caregiver may dump the load of towels on the table and say to your care receiver, Oh my gosh, I've got so much laundry to do. I need you to help me get these towels folded before dinner. Please come help me. And try to engage them in something that is meaningful. It makes a difference to them. Okay, the next three issues on today's agenda are not necessarily tied to sundowning activities. But I want to talk about them because they're things that members of my support groups have brought up on many occasions, and maybe this will be helpful to you. The first one I want to talk about now is the common occurrence of inappropriate sexual behaviors. Often family caregivers ignore or hide this because they're embarrassed about it. So I really want us to talk about this for just a minute. If you have experienced a time when your care receiver displayed inappropriate sexual behaviors, just know you're not alone. This can be very common, especially in patients or our care receivers who have dementia. And especially this happens as they revert backwards to an earlier developmental stage, like when they're going through puberty. So I encourage you to stay calm and try to remember that no shaming is necessary. Keep your tone neutral as you firmly call attention to the inappropriate behavior. And you can even go so far as to make firm eye contact and say, what you are doing is making me uncomfortable. Let's go do something else. And if your care receiver can understand that statement, they will try to stop the behavior. They don't want to disappoint you. They don't want to make you uncomfortable. So if they can understand that, they will try to stop. And then you try to redirect to another self-soothing activity like the fidget quilt that we mentioned earlier. Or take a cue from the self-soothing activities that I discussed for caregivers. Use a sensory means to redirect, such as either a passive fidget buster like the fidget quilt or a fidget spinner or even the wristband. Or you can use something like a weighted blanket maybe or a snack. Um, make it a healthy snack, but a snack that can be very, very good at redirecting. Or you can actually um, put a diffuser out with a lavender or vanilla or some really soothing scent of essential oils. Just be mindful about the safety and the best place to place the candles or the diffusers so that nobody gets burned. Now, if the inappropriate sexual behavior is not easily redirected, or it's something that is really becoming more and more common with your loved one, then I encourage you to talk to their doctor about possible causes. It could be something as simple as a medication side effect. 
or um, decreasing their medication, or is maybe that they need a medication to help manage this. But there are options for you. But try to withhold judgment and never speak in a degrading or humiliating way because this devalues your loved one. And they will feel the disappointment even if they can't name it. And always remember, their minds are broken. And this was not their usual behavior when they were wholly healthy. So the next issue is about repetitive actions, such as questions over and over and over, which can drive a caregiver quite batty. But you, the caregiver, can train yourself to remain neutral when answering. Think about it as if each time the question is asked that it is the first time you've heard it. Because in the care receiver's mind, it's the first time they've asked it. There's no need to get emotional about it. Just keep it simple and answer. Then try to divert their attention to something else unrelated to their question. Sometimes this is successful, sometimes not. If not, maybe you should ask a related question. For instance, if your care receiver is asking, what's for supper? What's for supper? And you've told her repeatedly, rather than answer it again, why don't you turn it around and start a conversation by asking her, what would you like for supper? And then follow that train of thought as far as she can take it. And you can keep asking questions to engage her, but keep them neutral with no one right answer. The idea is to keep her mind engaged and thinking about something other than the repetitive action or question. Or use Dr. Galloway's suggestion and provide an active diversion, such as setting the table, especially if you're talking about supper plans. And don't think that just because they tell you right this minute that they want pot roast for supper, that that's what you have to cook. It's just part of the conversation. And then you can always promise to cook pot roast on a different day. So, you know, just follow as long as they can go with the conversation and keep their minds engaged. Now, the next challenging behavior is forgetfulness. And this covers all areas of life, from where the keys are to how to dress or how to feed himself, or maybe even how to find their way home. And as already discussed, many activities become ingrained over the years from the simple repetition of the task, such as locking or unlocking the door. If your loved one has the physical ability to unlock the door and walk out of the house, then maybe you should consider options to an additional lock. Just keep it on above eye level. But bite your tongue if you have to and begin practicing the art of not shaming your loved one for their forgetfulness. If they could remember, believe me, they would. They're not doing it on purpose. They're not doing it to get you upset. They're doing it because their mind can't do it correctly. Now, the final behavior in today's episode is what I call undressing behaviors. And I'm going to give you a very personal example of this behavior. My grandfather, who you'll recall from earlier episodes, experienced all the horror that Alzheimer's disease can give. He was in mid to late stages of the disease. He was no longer walking and spent most of his day in a wheelchair. On this particular day, my grandmother had chosen to dress him in a coverall. 
This was very comfortable to him and something he had worn for years as he puttered around the house and the farm. Now just picture the scene. My grandmother is cooking in the kitchen on one end of the house with the TV on. And my grandfather is sitting in the den on the other end of the farmhouse looking out the window. When she was finished in the kitchen, she goes to the den to check on him. And this is so ridiculous that even today, I cannot figure out how he did it. Remember, he was not ambulatory at all. He spent his days in a wheelchair. But on this day, he was able to completely remove the coveralls. And for those of you who don't know what a coverall is, they're a jumpsuit for working men. Kind of like you'd, what you'd expect to find a mechanic or a farmer to wear. So they snapped up the front. So in order to get these off, he had to unsnap the front of the coverall from the collar to just below the waist. Now, did you hear me? He had to unsnap it. He had not worked with buttons or snaps for several years at this point. But on this day, he was able to unsnap everyone. And then he was able to slide the sleeves off his arms and somehow he took the coveralls down and off his legs. He had to either stand up or shift his weight to pull the coveralls under his bottom. But wait, there is more to this story. At some point, he decided to put the coveralls back on. So he put his feet and his legs through the sleeves. I can still visualize the horror on my grandmother's face when she realized that his feet were through the cuffs of the sleeves. Try as she might, she was not able to coax his feet out of the sleeves, and she ended up cutting the overalls, coveralls off of him. Now, if you want to fully appreciate his level of success, try putting your feet through the arm of a flannel shirt and see how long it takes you to do that. Now, let me just say that I saw the humor in this situation, and I still do, but my grandmother did not. And if I had been the one trying to get him straightened out, I'd probably think differently about it too. But this is one of those times when humor can come in handy. You must always remember that when things like this happen, it is an accident. There is no way anyone would do what he did on purpose. He just got turned around in his confusion. So I asked Dr. Galloway's opinion on this type of behavior, and she offered this advice. Whenever your care receiver is removing clothing, start with a sensory check. Is the room too warm or too cold? Is there too much light or not enough light? Is the care receiver hungry or maybe he has a tummy ache? Is the air stale or stuffy? Is there a noisy background? Is the TV or radio too loud? Whenever a person has been overloaded or deprived of sensory input, when a person has been overloaded with or deprived of sensory input, behaviors ensue as the care receiver strives to communicate his or her discomfort. Dr. Galloway suggests using light layers of clothing if undressing is common for your care receiver, especially if planning for a public outing to avoid an embarrassing scene. But I also want to reiterate that she was very much adamant that a care receiver can begin to do this kind of behavior 
if they're overstimulated, there's too much light, there's too much sound, there's too much of whatever. But if they are bored because there's not enough sensory input, then out of boredom, they can find something to do. So just be mindful of what is going on in the environment around your care receiver during these types of behaviors. And then you might be able to rectify it just by changing the environment. So our final stop on our virtual tour of the day and the life of a caregiver is bedtime. The information covered earlier about dressing can be utilized here as well. What did the normal bedtime routine look like for your care receiver before he needed your care? Did he like to have a bowl of cereal or ice cream before bed? My dad loved to have a Nutty Buddy bar and a glass of milk. And we continued that until he was no longer able to actually do that. That was probably six months before he passed. But that was a part of his routine. Did your care receiver like to sleep in a nightgown with sleeves or without sleeves? Or did she just prefer a simple t-shirt? Put them in something that feels comfortable to them. Something that feels like home to them. If you can keep the routine as close to the old normal as possible and incorporate quiet, soothing music and calming essential oils or scented lotion, especially lavender, then you can set your care receiver up for a restful night. So now that we've tucked in our care receiver, let's talk about the last thing on my mind today. And that is the behaviors of you, the caregiver. I've told you in earlier episodes that my grandmother could not make her peace with the idea that my grandfather did not understand what he was doing or saying as he deteriorated under the hands of Alzheimer's dementia. For the duration of the disease process, until he was relocated to a skilled nursing facility the last year of his life, my grandmother tried to correct him, and often her tone was harsh because she was frustrated and she was tired and he could hear and feel her tone, and he often hung his head in shame, even if he didn't understand why he was in trouble. Only after his death was she able to gain a clearer perspective of the disease. So today I want to encourage all of you who are providing care to someone you love to take a serious look at yourself. What can you do to ease the stress you feel and the constant desire to correct your loved one. I encourage you to start by giving yourself permission to let it go. If you know the details are jumbled up, fine. It will do no harm to allow him or her to remember things differently. You know the truth, and that should be enough during this season of caregiving. Your touch, whether rough or loving, your words, whether gentle or harsh, your tone, whether soothing or hard, will all be received by your loved one. If you find you're running on empty and acting in unbecoming ways toward your loved one, go back to the part of today's show and episode three to remind yourself of ways to cope and de-stress so that you will have no reason for regrets when this season of caring is over. If you found the information to be helpful, please share it with others. 
and check out the show notes for the sources and possible resources related to today's episode. And you can always go to our website, which is the accidentalcarepartners.com website for additional tips and tools. But if you have questions or comments, please email me at carepartnerspodcast2020 at gmail.com. I'll respond to you as soon as I can. But until next time, always remember, I know that caregiving is hard, so please be kind to yourself. Thanks for listening.